Hello and welcome back I, um, to a long delay of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. Um, we'll be back to returning to our normal Tuesdays. I know that uh, over my span away, I got married and had a honeymoon. Um, so Father, why don't you tell people what you did on your side and kind of let the audience know what we did while we weren't recording. Well, nothing as exciting as a honeymoon. I think that's a, that's a, a wonderful thing. We're, we're getting married for that matter. So that's a real joy. We prepared for a number of weeks talking about your wedding and your preparations, and I'm so delighted that you finally tied the knot and received the sacrament or celebrated the sacrament, the two of you, and are, are bound in Christ for life. Yes. What a blessing. So I had the chance to go to Rome again, and I was with a group called the Emperor Carl League of Prayers, which is responsible for promoting the cause of Emperor Carl, who's the last emperor of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and he was beatified, declared a blessed by St. John Paul II in 2004, and we continue to work to spread devotion to him, and if the Lord wants that he would also be declared a saint. The Emperor Carl League of Prayers requested a private audience with Pope Francis, and wonderfully he accepted. And he accepted under the theme of the 100th anniversary of Pope Benedict XV's peace proposal. Pope Benedict XV in 1917 proposed uh, a path forward for peace and specific points that world leaders could adhere to in order to bring an end to World War I. And Blessed Karl of Austria is the only world leader who accepted that proposal in its entirety. And so Pope Francis, to highlight his predecessor, to highlight peace, and then to highlight the, that coordination with a, a world leader and a blessed, accepted the audience. And um, so there were about 200 of us who were able to meet with Pope Francis. We gave a, our Archbishop Frank, the president of the League of Prayers, gave a little address to Pope Francis, and he gave an address back to us. And then we each had the chance to meet him individually. And so it was a great blessing. It was really a unique opportunity to, to have a, a few moments with Pope Francis one-on-one -on -one and then uh, to have the whole about 45 minutes all together as a group with him. That's wonderful. Um, kind of the, the natural thought there comes in is going back to, to the, the prior Pope Benedict. Had we actually listened to him, could that have prevented World War II? That's a probably an interesting thought. Well, process. that's really, no, that's really, uh, you'll, you'll find a lot of historians and uh, people who would say that, that Emperor Karl in particular, with his repeated efforts to bring about peace, if he had been listened to, if Pope Benedict XV had been followed, that it really would have bought, brought about a better situation in Europe that wouldn't have destabilized things so much that Hitler could take control and eventually end up causing World War II. And uh, a lot of different reasons for that. But no, it's, a, it's an excellent point and a, and a very valid point, I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fun question there. So, um, so I was actually thinking about that today and, and, and how much harder it must be to be in a political field and to go down the road of becoming a saint. And actually, thinking this through again, Austria-Hungary, aren't they a primarily Muslim country? 
No, no, not at all. Uh, Austria-Hungary is uh, the empire I'm mixing them which up consisted of. Yeah, the um, yeah wouldn't have included Turkey. Yeah, Turkey is is mostly Muslim at this point, part of the ancient Christian empire, um, or an ancient Christian land, but then mostly Muslim. Austria-Hungary was is the last vestige of the Holy Roman Empire. Okay. And consisted really of about consisted of eight, ten languages and uh, about as many nations held together under an, uh, an emperor in Austria who was also crowned King of Hungary, and thus the kind of double name to that particular position. But parts of Poland, of um, Slovakia, of the Czech Republic, of uh, so different parts of Eastern Europe that eventually were taken over by communists and um, became... Yeah, just terribly destroyed after after World War Two. Yeah, they did a lot of bad stuff, didn't they? <laughs> but that's a that's a side story here. Kind of all little tangents that really get away from what the core concept of the cast was. Uh, <laughs> but but the, but that's a that, that that's an interesting side thought there. So one the one of the topics I wanted to uh, to bring up today actually does go along the uh, the sacrament route as as you mentioned in the beginning here. And you, this might be a wrong way of thinking of it, but essentially what I wanted to do was see if we can have a conversation about the impacts that you get from each sacrament. And I think that some of them just off the bat stand out a little bit more obviously than others. Um, for instance, um, you know, I'm married, I instantly get a roommate type deal. Um, <laughs> so, um, and you know, communion is you walking to God as Jesus had, had asked you to do. So literally you're walking out of the pews to walk to the front and baptism, you're getting the original sin washed away and confession. You're feeling that instant relief from the forgiveness of God. And pretty much I, I wanted to kind of go through them about why they're so important. And this might take a lot longer than just one individual cast, but just to kind of put a more polished look on and dive deeper into about what you're actually receiving as the individual going to that sacrament, why it's so important, and um, and, and, and the meaning behind it. Because I, I feel like there's a lot of us out there who have gone through some of these sacraments and might not necessarily get the full why it's important element of it. Well, I think a, a helpful starting point, Joe, is to say it very simply. In the sacraments, we receive God. So that's the really the point of it. In the sacraments, we receive God. And an image that's sometimes used and is a very beautiful one is if you think of a, a prism which in which you, you shine white light and then it spreads the light into seven different spectrums to make a rainbow, you know, the, mm -hmm. uh, which is really what's happening when we have a rainbow. I think the rain functions as prisms. The white light of the sun shines through that and then gets separated out into seven different spectrums. But it's all that white light. That the, the white light of God is shining onto the church which is like a prism, and church spread that out into seven different spectrums. 
but in every case is God. It's the same God, it's the same love, it's the same grace, and it's just shining out in, in some different, uh, you know, spreading out into some different spectrums. Red, orange, yellow, blue, green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Violet, whatever that is. Uh, mm-hmm. Missing one there, but um, indigo. So, so it's, I think, helpful to just recognize, first of all, in the sacraments, we're always getting God. That's, that's the fundamental thing. And so uh, we don't want to, you know, it's not like, well, when I go to a gas station, I get gas. And when I go to a supermarket, I get bread. And when I go to, you know, it's, they're, not dis- they're not distinct like that or div- divided like that. Uh, it's, it's always God. And it's just a, a certain facet of God which is perhaps emerging in one sacrament as, as opposed to the other. Um, so we, we get in, for example, the sacrament of anointing, we get the, the power of uh, God's healing. So God's love has a, has a power for healing. Uh, in the sacrament of marriage, God's love has a power for, uh, for bringing about new life and also for bonding uh, complements to opposites, as it were, male and female, together into one communion of love. And so there's this uh, bond of love and also this fruitfulness bringing forth new life. Uh, Those are are aspects of the sacrament of marriage. Now, Christ is giving himself in that. So just like in the healing, we're not just getting healing power, we're actually getting Christ, and, the, and in the sacrament of marriage, we're, we're not getting some kind of uh, pixie dust sprinkled on. We're, we're getting Christ, and Christ is communicating himself as thing or in your relationship. Uh, he is also entering into your relationship, transforming it, making that communion of love deeper, and also making it possible for you to give yourselves even more generously to him. Uh, and to give him to others. Uh, as I said, in the sacrament of anointing, he gives himself, and healing is the consequence of that. When Jesus touched people, sometimes the consequence of that was healing. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening in the sacrament of anointing. In the sacrament of holy orders, he's giving himself in a way to a man that changes that man to be able to also give Christ in the sacraments. And so he's, he's communicating himself as he did to his apostles and transforming them to be able to give him. Uh, in the, the sacrament of, of baptism, again, he's giving himself to us in a way that changes the core of our being, that we're more deeply united with him, even so that as he is the son of God, we also become children of God in him. We are immersed in him. One of the consequences of that, as you mentioned, is also being cleansed or freed from original sin. But the most important thing is what we're receiving God, the indwelling of the Trinity. He lives, God lives within us because of our baptism, and he changes us to the core of our being. He changes our relationship with him so that we are truly his children, truly sons and daughters of God. Uh, in confirmation, that same gift is sealed, and in a particular way, as God gives himself in confirmation, it enlivens the action of the Holy Spirit within us. Again, God giving himself. 
And of course, in the Blessed Sacrament, we are receiving the whole Christ. Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity, the whole Christ. He gives everything to us. All of Jesus is given to us in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, and and the whole renewal of his saving mystery is celebrated, too. So as you mentioned, Joe, we, we walk up to receive Holy Communion, but the Eucharist is more than Holy Communion. The celebration of the Eucharist is powerful and effective even if we don't receive Holy Communion for people who come and worship in that way. And actually, that's what the Church's commandment is, that we worship him in that prayer of the Eucharist on Sundays. Sometimes people think, oh, well, I'm not prepared to receive Holy Communion, what's the point of me going to Mass? Well, Mass is a prayer in itself, not just because I receive Holy Communion. So the prayer of the Mass is the renewal of Christ's saving love on the cross. We are really brought to the foot of Calvary. He really offers himself to the Father. Uh, and the sacrament of my missing here. Oh, the sacrament of confession. Mm-hmm. Again, the sacrament of confession is an encounter with Christ. We are encountering Christ, but in that particular sacrament, the dimension of Christ that comes out is his forgiveness, his absolution, and the healing power of, of his love at the level of our souls, even more so than the level of our bodies. In, in the sacrament of anointing, we focus on the healing of body and in the sacrament of confession we focus on the healing of souls but of course there's an overlap there soul and body are not two strictly distinct things or divide there's no division there Um, so when we receive absolution in the sacrament of confession sometimes it also has a healing effect on our bodies Mm -hmm. when we receive anointing it also has the power of of cleansing us of our sins and so in any event, to just back and say, in all the sacraments, is the light poured into the prism of the church, which then spreads itself out in these seven bands of light that we call the seven sacraments. And there are different ways that God touches us in each of those. And that's a great analogy. We actually spawned a lot of questions there out of out of that. So... Um... But to your point about confession being able to be a physical feeling better, I mean, you carry that kind of stress and guilt around and then release it, and you can feel it coming off your chest. At least I can, and, and I'm assuming that, that I'm not the only one who has that. And, and it makes me always wonder why it's not kind of, I don't know if promotes the right word, but advertised more as far as, you know, confession time because it just seems see you know you're getting mass every day that's where you get communion um you can only get baptism ones a confirmation one so that, that's a little different but in terms of confession which theoretically you can have as many as you want in your life it seems that that'll, you got to take more advantage of that just as a side thought there you're uh, preaching to the choir though it's uh <laughs> Well, in terms of talking to me, in terms of our listeners, you may be working uh, up some ears there. I, I definitely agree about that. We've it's been such a blessing at St. Vincent. We started having daily confessions during the lunch hour, 12 to 1, because of the year of mercy. Pope Francis was really encouraging us to make that sacrament more available. And so we started in the year of mercy at St. Vincent Basilica. We have lots of monks, lots of priests here, so it's easy mm-hmm. for us to do that. And we continued after the year of mercy, and oh boy, people just keep coming. 
Every day, we have lots of people coming to receive the sacrament of confession. But it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem because priests will say, well, I go to hear confessions and nobody comes. Well, partially the reason nobody comes is because you're only available for confession for half an hour. Mm-hmm. But you're only available for confession for a half an hour because when you were there for an hour, only three people came, and so it only took a half an hour. You know, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah. it's like you got to kind of step out there and – and that's where you know I don't I don't put any blame on on parish priests, but I am grateful having as many priests as we do here that we're at least offering that that sacrament more generously and and hopefully even areas you know parishes could work together and I think in the new configuration in the Pittsburgh parishes we'll have more priests together and they can be more generous I think with the sacrament of confession it is a really beautiful sacrament. Yes, yes, absolutely, um, and, and kind of just going through through those questions that I popped up. So this might not be in the order that you brought the the sacraments up in. But one of the things I've always well, Teresa and I had these discussions a lot when when we were dating, um, was that for communion, like I would never understood why people wouldn't go up and receive it. And that just core concept I don't grasp. So if you can Enlighten me on that, whether it's, you know, what's going on there and whether it's something that I'm missing, because um, I just don't get it. Well, the teaching of the church is that we need to be properly disposed to receive Holy Communion. So people who are not properly disposed do not, should not receive Holy Communion. So that's the, that's the starting point. It's okay, not a kind mean? of automatic thing. Right. Well, just to, just to point out, there's a there is something there, uh, and so it's not an automatic thing. It's not like, um, you know, I'm I'm at a wedding. I'm going to receive. I'm going to have dinner because everybody else is having dinner. I mean, there's something more meaningful there. So a a better analogy would be well, now that you're uh, you're together in marriage. You know, married couples don't come together just because it's like, oh, we don't have anything else to do, you know, we're here. Um, there's a, it means something. We, we don't just do things that are meaningful unless we're prepared to express that meaning. So uh, I should be prepared to receive Jesus in Holy Communion. There is a one flesh union. There is a confirmation of a relationship in receiving Holy Communion. And so it's not a thing to be taken lightly, is the point. So that's, I just want to say that before trying to define that more clearly. It's not something to be taken lightly because it is meaningful. And so uh, one of the reasons that I shouldn't receive Holy Communion is that people don't receive Holy Communion well, when they're not properly prepared. And then I can, I can list off a, a few of those points. Yeah, if you... Well, the one starting point would be somebody who uh, is not is not really uh, present for the mass. Maybe somebody who shows up for mass really late. The mass itself prepares us to receive Holy Communion. You know, it, it moves us into a place that I'm I'm more ready to take seriously this intimate encounter that I have with God in His body. And if I show up for Mass really late, well, I would ask the question, are you really prepared to have this intimate encounter? Are you really taking seriously what you have there in the Blessed Sacrament? 
that that's truly Christ? Can you give your full amen, and have you made a place in your heart to receive him today? So sometimes when people come very late to Mass, they just feel, I'm not adequately prepared. Sometimes the reason they came late for Mass is they were just in the process of yelling at their kids and fighting with their wife, you know, and so they're they're angry, they're upset. They finally get to Mass, and thank God, it's a good place to go, but just feel like, I'm here to pray, I'm going to give the best that I have, but I just don't feel like I'm prepared to receive Holy Communion. I don't want to just receive Jesus as if it doesn't mean anything, and so I'm going to protect that meaning and that encounter by refraining this time. Uh, now, the church requires that people refrain from receiving Holy Communion if they're in a state of mortal sin. If you've committed mortal sin, you may not receive Holy Communion. In fact, St. Paul says, if we don't discern what we're doing, we can eat and drink judgment on ourselves. So it actually does worse for us. I, I like to use the analogy of drinking salt water when you're thirsty. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we're we've damaged ourselves, our souls in such a way that we've really ruptured that relationship with Christ, then receiving Holy Communion would be like would be drink, like drinking salt water. It would be eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. So we would do more damage. That would be itself another grave sin to receive Holy Communion in a state of mortal sin. So that's the very clear teaching that the the Church gives. And then there's a, a kind of variety of personal things, and you find it a little bit more in the uh, traditional Mass, the extraordinary form Latin Mass communities, that there was a time when people felt that they weren't really prepared to receive Holy Communion unless they had just gone to confession. Like, confession itself was part of the adequate preparation. I, I said earlier, the Mass prepares us. Mm -hmm. Well, some would say, I need confession also. I need to attend the first part of the Mass, you know, be there for, for the Mass, and then also go to confession right before. And that was a, a strong tradition in the Church. People didn't receive communion every Sunday or every time they went to Mass. They only received communion after they went to confession, uh, immediately after, you know, they went to confession, basically. Uh, and so that's a... Anyway, that that's a, a pious practice. That's a... a devotional practice and one that, that someone could discern for him or herself. It's not the strict teaching of the church that one must be in that, have that kind of preparation. But anyway, some, some people do that, and there, there's something beautiful about that. They really want to be at their best and for that sacred moment. Now, even when people don't receive Holy Communion, it's still good to make a spiritual communion. In other words, we say to the Lord, I don't know that I'm ready to receive you fully, sacramentally, um, but I want to receive as much as I can. So I want to receive you spiritually as much as I'm prepared to receive, and I'm going to let you be in charge of that. And if God wants to give us the grace of sacramental communion, he can do that. You know, that's, uh, that's his prerogative. He's not limited by his sacraments. It's not like he can only give himself to us through the Eucharist. He can give himself to us however he wants to. So we just know that he does give himself to us through the Eucharist, but he could also give himself to us spiritually. So someone might say, okay, I'm, I don't feel totally prepared or I don't you know, consider myself to be totally prepared, but I want to receive as much as I can. So 
please unite yourself with me spiritually. And so that can also be a beautiful thing. Um, anyway, those are just a few thoughts on, on receiving community. Well, I wanted to say one more thing about that. The, just a, a little bit more of the logic of it. As I mentioned, there's a certain analogy between receiving Holy Communion and a married couple coming together in married love, consummating their marriage. Mm -hmm. And there are sometimes that consummating marriage can be a way to heal some wounds. If wounds aren't too deep. When the wounds are deep enough, that's not going to heal the wounds. It's just going to make them worse. And there needs to be a more formal reconciliation that happens before that act of married love happens again. And that's the same kind of logic the church applies. So if one is in mortal sin, you need to go to confession first and to resolve that situation, to make that formal reconciliation, and then you can present yourself again for Holy Communion. Uh, otherwise, we end up doing more damage to the relationship. Okay, so, um, so I guess the follow-up question to that is, what are the mortal sins? Well, uh, mortal sin is doing something serious, committing grave matter, knowledge, and full intent. So uh, something like missing mass on Sunday, that's, uh, that's grave matter. And to do that with full knowledge and full intent, I'm not just because once somebody is sick or because there's a snowstorm or there's some other physical impossibility, um, but really choosing to skip Mass on Sunday is a mortal sin. Okay. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of sexual sins are mortal sins. Um, well, basically every, every genital sexual sin, I suppose you could say, uh, sexual acts outside of marriage are mortal sins, viewing pornography. Now, some of these sins can be mitigated by the fact that there's an addiction or there's a, an habitual behavior. Someone is stuck in that. So in the process of becoming more free, um, anyway, the, the culpability, severity may be lim uh, reduced, but it's still grave matter. It's still a serious sin. And doing it with full knowledge and full intent would be a mortal sin. Um, a lot of the, uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, to steal, to kill, to, you know, you could say even uh, cheating on serious things, lying about serious things. That's where the, even with stealing, the matter, you know, I mean, if you take a dollar from your whatever, uh, your mom or something like that, it's probably not a mortal sin. But uh, stealing from a store, you know, that kind of crime, those can be mortal sins putting your life or somebody else's life in danger, um, acts of hatred, destroying people's reputation in serious ways. Um, yeah, there are other kinds of uh, corruption, uh, embezzlement. So certainly things that are serious crimes in civil law would also be serious sins. Hmm. Um, anyway, those are the ones that are coming to mind. Fair enough. That, that's... That's just a bunch. Of, that that that's a lot of what I like. Some of which I didn't even think of would have been on the list. So I guess a follow-up question on that, because I don't know if this is even stealing or not, and this might be just a generational gap here. Like the file sharing sites, where 
you know, you're just basically sharing files back and forth, you know, movies or or um, music, I guess, are the most too common. You know, is that even stealing? I guess my first question, let alone a, a mortal sin. Uh, yes, in the sense that it's property that doesn't belong to me, and the creator of that property has the right to define some of the laws that uh, protect it. So it's stealing according to the law. Uh, now, again, if people make things freely available, people post their own things on YouTube. It's not stealing if I watch the YouTube things about, you know, I mean, particular songs and stuff like that. But I think a lot of the file sharing sites are, again, it, there, there are a variety of answers. You'd almost have to look at specific situations. But there's a, there's a lot of uh, theft that goes on in, in sharing movies illegally, sharing music illegally. And and uh, breaking, breaking. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts essentially were, you know, if I go and buy a movie or whatever, and then I show it or let my brother borrow or whatever, that's totally okay. So what is the difference of letting someone else borrow it? And I guess that's the the core concept behind it. And then therefore, in reverse, what's wrong with being the guy who's borrowing it? Um, so th I guess that's where the the, the core thought. Yeah, I, I, again, that's why I said you have to take these things on an individual basis, and and the law has ruled on some of that, and I haven't followed all of the details of it. Sometimes what you've purchased is one license, and so if you think of a physical object, you can lend that to your brother, and then he has it, and you don't have it. What happens on file sharing sites, or what can happen, is that you have it, and he has it, and somebody else has it, and somebody else has it, and somebody else has it. Then a billion people. And have so it, yeah. you didn't you didn't purchase five licenses; you purchased one license. Now I think there are file sharing sites where it's regulated so that I can put in my license, and somebody else can check out my license. That's what a library does. You mm -hmm. know, um, that's a different situation. So that's why I say I I'm not up on all of the latest, but you have to. You know, I mean, the the logic is there. I should get what I paid for, and I can't just presume rights over something because I feel like it. <laughs> so, yeah, that makes sense. But you'd have to look those things things up on the internet or whatever to find out the specifics of the law. And that makes sense. There's just always, like I said, always something that that I wondered about on that one. So, nonetheless, uh, I, I do thank everyone out there for for welcoming us back. I know that we got a bunch of emails during our little break here, and we're back. Um, and you can continue to support the show by giving us the great ratings that you guys have been and leaving reviews um, on wherever you're downloading the cast at, whether it be Apple Podcast or what have you. And then also we are available on Twitter at Father and Joe. So we ask that you follow us and, and retweet us whenever we give you the uh, the updates for the next cast. So thank you very much. Thank you for being back with us here, Father, and hope that everyone has a great week.